0: Hello, and welcome back to the Joint Venture Podcast, Inspiration Insights. My name's Oliver Carr. This week, we'll be taking a look at the latest news in wind, offshore wind, and digital infrastructure developments. Rob will be taking us through the latest news and announcements. And also, we have... Chenvar Chintu on this episode, our energy and infrastructure analyst, who is going to take us through the latest auctions in the South African market. The round five auctions were caused for celebration, but the around six results have not been up to the same standard, and Chenvar is going to tell us why that is and what lessons we can learn and apply to the European markets. So, as usual, we will begin with the news desk. Rob, what's been going on?
1: Uh, thanks, Oliver. Um, well, like to start um, in the offshore sector. Um, one of the big deals this week, Equinor and BP submitting a bid to develop a really large offshore wind project. Um, it's been the case for a number of years now that big offshore projects are developed off the eastern coast of the US, often backed by large oil ma- majors. There's been a slight lull in recent months, but this week Um, new project uh, announcements have returned with a vengeance. Um, So in this case, Equinor and BP have submitted a joint bid to um, build the second stage of the Beacon Wind Project. Um, The uh, new 1.3 gigawatt capacity scheme will be located six miles off the eastern tip of Long Island in New York. Uh, So as we know, Equinor and BP are already developing three offshore wind projects off New York, Empire Wind 1 and 2 and Beacon Wind 1. With a total capacity of 3 gigawatts, this will come as a further addition.
0: Quite interesting then. So we, we've got the American market, which has just been spurred on with uh, a lot of government subsidy. And is this perhaps the first of several deals? Can we expect more from the IRA backing? Well, it's
1: been, as I mentioned, uh, a little quiet on the on the American offshore front. I think that's because there were so many deals in the, in the previous two years. But it looks like um, this is going to be another picking up of of activity. I think there's some more capacity auctions um, on the way in New York and in um, Virginia and Massachusetts, so I would imagine there's going to be lots more news to report in the coming months on that subject.
0: Do we think it's just going to be the big oil majors who get through these auctions, or do you think that there's any opportunity for smaller developers to start developing in the US market?
1: Well, it has tended to be so far simply because of the costs involved. But as you mentioned, there's the you know the IRA that's coming into force that's going to put in place certain tax breaks and incentives. So there might be an opportunity for smaller companies to get involved, maybe still in in kind of um, cooperation with all majors. We'll have to see. But it would be nice to see some smaller developers get involved.
0: Coming back across the Atlantic, we've had uh, some more news from I think the Swedish market, Rob.
1: Yes, another um, offshore story. Um, Swedish renewable developer uh, OX2 has said that it's going to develop a 1.4 gigawatt offshore wind farm off the coast of Finland this week. Um, It's expected to be operational before the end of the decade. Um, Although this this is the first deal that OX2 have announced in 2023. Um, It ended 2022 by announcing a a further spate of wind projects um, off Finland, so it looks like that company is very much moving quite heavy into the Finnish renewables market.
0: Okay, and how come these um, all these projects being announced now? How's the backing from the Finnish authorities?
1: Well, again, you know, much like in the US, the, the government is very much behind um, the development of of offshore projects off the coast. I think they've allocated about seven areas of um, potential development space off the coast. And again, it looks like I think they're putting in some um, economic kind of um, breaks, tax breaks, for example. So it encourages um, companies to do deals in in
0: Finland. Staying in the Scandinavian market, I think we've had another announcement from Glanmont.
1: Yes, Glanmont, who we we, we cover on a regular basis, uh, said this week that um, they're going to acquire an onshore wind portfolio in uh, Sweden, 47 megawatts. Um, it's the the investment is the first from the open-ended 700 million Brownfield European Infrastructure Fund, which it launched with the Dutch investor MN last year um, to invest in Brownfield projects in Europe, as the name suggests. Aforementioned Glenmont, we've covered consistently over the past few years. It's been widening its sights when it comes to investment recently, and in the accord of course, um, a few a couple of years ago now launched BNZ, which is an IPP. And uh, they're developing renewable schemes across Europe. And earlier this year, of course, Glenmont said that they were going to be developing some projects in South Korea, which is quite a geographical jump from what they've been doing in the past.
2: And sort of moving into the digital infra space, um, Rob, has there been anything of interest that's happened recently?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, we we tried to cover the the digital infraspaces as as much as possible there's so many deals going on in in that sector particularly around data centers and 5g uh uh, broadband rollouts um data centers of of course big business post pandemic given the retention of some elements of the working from home culture um so the story that we've been covering this week is amazon investing in a string of new data centers that they're going to build in in uh, Dublin, in North Dublin. Construction um, on one of the projects is expected to begin in the second quarter of 2023 and um, on the other projects uh, in 2024. Amazon have um, bought lots of um, wind farm projects around the world, as we know, um, but they have three in uh, in Ireland, in Galway, Cork and Donegal. Um, and I, it seems likely that some of the power that they produce will be used to power the new data centers
2: yeah i mean i i I find that interesting because uh at least on the ppa side of things that i cover um, a lot of the ppas you see are for are related to data data centers you know would you say that's somewhat of a prerequisite for uh, data centers coming up these days to be powered by renewable energy
1: i think it's certainly becoming that way i mean you, you barely see um, a data center that's being developed now that isn't backed by by renewables, and um, there's been a few, in fact, where they um, where the heat that is produced by um, data centers is harnessed and then and then channeled into district heating projects. So that's another way that they can um, be used.
0: I gather also it's been quite a busy week for Macquarie. Yep, they have lots of busy weeks, and this week they um, signaled they're set to
1: uh, sell their stake in Open Grid Europe to the Belgian gas company Fluxis. Open Grid was originally bought by Macquarie European Infrastructure Fund 4. Um, they took a twenty-three 23%, uh, percent, 23.6% stake in Open Grid around a decade ago. Uh, the fund itself closed in, in 2013 uh, with total commitments of 2.7 billion. Um, and then that money was spent not only on Open Grid but on um, Czech gas networks. or oh, they took a stake in that. A G S airports, which operate um, Aberdeen, Glasgow, and South uh, um Southampton airports, or certainly did it at the time when that deal was completed, and a few more. So it's interesting to see Macquarie now reaping the rewards, the of rewards bu- of building that portfolio all those years ago.
0: And just as they're selling from one market, uh, they are buying into another. Because this week, Macquarie completed their 60% equity stake in National Grid's uh, gas transmission and metering businesses in the UK. So those parts of the company, formerly of National Grid, will now be moving into their own uh, independent body known as National Gas. So That's two businesses in one, National Gas Transmission and National Gas Metering.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a deal that's been been discussed for a while. People know it's been happening, and now it's 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 reached its conclusion. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Rob.
0: So we're now going to turn to the South African market and see what lessons can be learned from the procurement program's uh, successes and, uh, unfortunately, failures in uh, recent weeks. Uh, Chendwa has been looking into this for us. Chendwa, can you give us a bit of a, a background on? What's been going on? Why is this an interesting story?
2: Yes, I think what's been going on in South Africa is very interesting, at least from a renewable energy front. For quite a number of years now, they've had a very robust uh, and successful um, renewable energy procurement program focused around IPPs um, and getting IPPs to uh, build capacity, which the government would buy. It's called the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Procurement Program, or REI Uh, but we'll uh we'll fo- we'll focus on the last two rounds which were uh, round 5 and round 6 um and sort of up to date uh the sort of two trends that we've seen in these auction rounds is one the prices for the tariffs um have been going down um so you know that sort of shows the knowledge that's been built in South Africa financing renewable projects and strengthening of the supply chains there and efficient use of materials um, and two the number of projects and this is and the size of the projects has also increased steadily over the years and sort of that hit its high in round five where 25 projects one bids for a total of 2.6 gigawatts um, with an average price um, across wind uh wind and, and solar of 25 us dollars per megawatt hour
0: so that was the pinnacle of the auction grounds what's been happening since
2: yeah, so what's what's been happening since is, um, I guess of the players that have been submitting bids in these rounds um, have mainly been uh, European players who've set up shop in South Africa as well. So we've got people such as Mainstream Renewable Power, um, NG, and EDF, and Total, you know, the, uh, also um, NL Green Power from Italy. And because of the success of the previous rounds, there was a lot of confidence in the government's ability to accept this power Um, and also there's huge desire for companies to um, exploit the renewable capacity that's available in the south of the country in the western and eastern capes. Uh, Round six um, had a lot of interest and a lot of bids.
0: So how much interest was there?
2: 56 bids in total um, with 22 being um, onshore wind, focused mainly on the eastern and western capes, um, and the rest being solar, mainly focused on the eastern cape and the northern cape and spread out across the country.
0: So it had the potential to be much larger than the previous round, but how many of those were successful?
2: So what ended up happening was only five projects uh, were uh, awarded contracts in uh, round six, a huge reduction from the 53 that, that set in bids. Um, and looking deeper into this, what we see is that all the all the projects that submitted bids located in the western Eastern Cape were rejected, and all projects in the northern Cape were also rejected, and so all onshore winds were rejected. Um, several um, solar PV bids were rejected, or all, all located in the um, northern, eastern, and western Cape, and the reason given was that there was no grid connection capacity. So the government simply couldn't connect these projects even if they were built.
0: So it is the government's responsibility to maintain the grid connections and to build
2: those out? Globally, it is a public bill. It's a public bill everywhere um, in all countries. And I think what's happening now in South Africa is uh, sort of a telltale sign for everyone everywhere um, as we sort of try to transition to renewables and need a more distributed um, grid, that we need to look into our grids more proactively instead of reactively.
0: Grid connection was a big limiting factor here. Uh, Is this something that is a kind of unique case to South Africa, or is this something that really needs to be uh, applied and learnt from in other markets, in European markets, for example?
2: It's not a unique case in South Africa. Um, I think what's happening in South Africa is happening across the world. you see in South Africa, they are curtailing um, op- open cycle gas plants to free up some grid connectivity um, for the next round of the renewable energy um, procurement program um, and also for other um, renewable energy um, IPPs that are active in the country building smaller um, capacity projects. But um, to give more context as to where else this is happening, um, I could point you to the UK, where We've seen news over the past year of several projects being given grid connection dates in 2030 or 2035. Um, So they're having to wait 15 years for a grid connection.
0: Do you have any figures on that?
2: The National Grid themselves released some numbers last year for new projects that applied for grid connection. Uh, Between 2018 and 2021, there were 705 projects that applied for grid connection. Of those, 132 withdrew their own applications and 88 were rejected outright Um, and so 485 of these projects were contracted but even then 384 requested to modify their submissions and so what does that mean that's sort of a change in capacity or a change in location um, a change in anything really and that means you have to start the process again so in all between 2018 and 2021 Only 28 new projects were actually connected.
0: So that sounds like a huge administrative challenge trying to keep up with all of these applications, and I suppose that's why these lead times are so long.
2: Well, at least in the UK, the National Grid gives a time period of 70 days between application and grid connection um, result. So you have 70 days to, to sort of wait to hear back as to whether you've got grid connection or not. But it is somewhat systemic because... Uh, sort of as decarbonization intensifies, um, the DNOs, the distribution network operators um, at, at various levels of the grid, are receiving hundreds more applications um, on a monthly basis. And sort of this is crippling them um, and the ESO themselves um, in terms of how quickly and how effectively they can review these applications. And so a lot of unsuitable projects receive. Um, grid connection and end up being modified, um, leaving those projects that were ready in the first place without grid connection and a longer wait time.
0: And of course it's not just the um, connections to the existing grid. To build the capacity for the grid to be able to accept a distributed power production model, uh, there just needs to be a lot more infrastructure uh, upgrades, a lot more pylons, a lot more high capacity cables into rural areas which may ne- not necessarily have needed it in the past. Yeah, yeah.
2: And that's sort of what's happening in South Africa, which is why I chose to write about it, because it's sort of an, an accelerated tale of what's probably going to happen globally. So with uh, fossil fuel plants, you can sort of build that plant near your load, near your city. But with renewables, it's sort of where the resource is. And so within the UK, we've got a lot of uh, wind energy potential in the north. Uh, but the load is generally in the south. And so that means a lot of high-voltage cables have to be built and more um, substations. Uh, and that means a lot of collaboration between the DNOs and the ASO. Um, and also a new trend that's popping up is to build your asset, your solar or wind asset, um, and step up the voltage to reduce your losses from resistance. Um, and that means more high-voltage high cables might be needed if a lot of people take advantage of this um, and because it's a public bill, the government and the people working in conjunction with the National Grid ESO have to be proactive in foreseeing this new demand.
0: To extend the UK metaphor here, I think that um, we can probably learn a lot by looking at Scotland, which is also reaching uh, more or less the uh, top end of its own electric capacity. Because you're right, there's an awful lot of uh, offshore wind, onshore wind developments in Scotland, and they are already exporting huge amounts of energy and are running into that same problem, that grid connection capacity is being fulfilled. And so yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see over the next few years, Scotland has started to look to other technologies. I'm going to mention hydrogen. Hydrogen's one of them where you can export energy in the form of uh, a molecule. So yeah, Scotland has a huge potential to export energy in more ways than just electricity.
2: And that's a big deal for Scotland in particular. And uh, sort of last year when uh, government released the review of electricity market arrangements, one of the key points was improving infrastructure to cope with the uptake of offshore wind in Scotland and bringing up that capacity such that that electricity can be transmitted efficiently. Um, to load centres in the south where electricity is much more needed.
1: At the minute, as Chenwal mentioned, it's taking too, far too long to get grid connections, but this plays into a, a wider problem across Europe in the, and in the UK with bureaucracy. It's taking far too long uh, to get grid connections, it's taking far too long to get to get planning permits in for projects in places like Spain, in Germany, and this slob bureaucracy is basically holding the um, entire renewable sector to ransom. They can't get projects built fast enough. The money's there to do it, but when it's taking years to get the permission, um, that's a that's a very serious problem. And banks just won't wait that long. Basically, they they don't want to they don't want to be told that it's going to take fifteen years
2: to get a return on their investment. Yes, no, hundred percent. The bureaucracy is definitely crippling the industry. Uh, but you mentioned Spain, and I just uh, have an important point to mention about how the government in Spain has tried to address this in recent years. So sort of. The government in Spain has given a free-for-all to distributors for grid connection. And it's sort of whoever builds their project quickest gets grid connection first. Uh, Whether that can be implemented in other countries, I'm not sure. But because these projects, especially in Spain, can be built very quickly in less than a year or um, a year and a half, a lot of developers um, are fine with getting their projects up and running very quickly to get that grid connection Uh, and secure those revenues sooner rather than later.
0: Now, that does sound like an interesting way to approach the permitting market, whoever can build quickest. Uh, That does, I suppose, open up the possibility, of course, of people prioritizing speed over efficient or effective design. So maybe that could be a risk in that particular market. We haven't got any regulators here in the room to defend themselves, so I think I should probably bring up that one of the reasons why these uh, processes perhaps take a long time and um, are pushing back project deadlines is this reason of grid connectivity, how they, it, you cannot push the grid beyond its capacity without fundamentally damaging the energy infrastructure Of an entire country. A whole grid network could be brought offline if you do not manage its capacity correctly. So that is perhaps one of the reasons why this is happening. However, I would agree wholeheartedly with the sentiment that upgrading grids should be a massive priority in any market which wants to go renewable. The energy load has to move away from the fossil fuels, and it has to go somewhere, and a huge amount of that's going to be electricity. It could be other end-use fuels like hydrogen and e-methanol and all these other green alternatives, but electricity has a huge weight to bear. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Joint Venture Podcast. You can send feedback to podcasts at inspiration.com. I'd like to once again thank Robert Leeming, our Head of News. Thanks, Oliver. And Chen Watintu, our Energy and Infrastructure Analyst.
2: Thanks for having me, Oliver.
0: This week, Rob held an interview with Abhishek Jane the VP of Product at Pexa Park all about what to look out for in the renewables and PPA markets for 2023. You'll find that in your regular podcast feeds. That's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon. Goodbye.